do want to just jump into today's message. Like I said, we're about four weeks in. Then recap. In week one, we talked about the mystery of the church. The fact that the church itself in existence is a mystery and was a mystery uh, for many, many thousands of years until revealed in Christ. Uh, week two, we talked about the unity of the church, which is actually a central theme in the book of Ephesians. So we're going to hit that a little bit more today. Last week, we talked about the purpose of the church, that part of the reason we exist is to proclaim. That's right. Open up your mouth and talk to other people about Jesus. We shared that with you last week. And now this week, we're going to be diving into chapter four. And this one's going to be a little bit different than the others. This is a very dense passage with a lot of ground to cover. And so we're going to get into this today and we're going to talk about this and look at it through the lens of the gifts of the church. Now, in the first three weeks, I read the whole chapter for you up front. There's so much in here. I'm going to kind of break it up as we go. And I'll warn you, I've been told some of you get a little nervous when I spend too long on one point, especially early in the message because you're thinking, we're never going to get out of here. He's all, he did 20 minutes on point number one. Well, this one today, I'm going to spend most of the time on the first two points, and we'll move a little quicker through the last three. So don't get nervous when you see all those fill in the blanks and there's five minutes left. It'll be okay. We'll get you out of here and off to lunch on time. So when we talk about gifts, here's a question for you. How many of you have ever received a gift, but it didn't feel like a gift? You're like, I don't know. It's, you, you st- I, like five people started to raise their hands and then looked next to them and put it back down. I wish you could have seen what just happened right now. It was pretty awesome. They're like, oh, that's going to become a problem. Put my hands in my pocket where they're safe, uh, safe for being raised and exposed. Yeah, we've all gotten a gift, and you're like, that's awesome. I love it. And you're just trying to, because you you're not seeing it as a gift. Other times, maybe you've been the one to give a gift, but it's not even recognized as such. You know, maybe you do an act of kindness, or you try to be there for someone, and they're like, why are you even here? You know, you ever had that? And you can try to be a gift to someone, but it's not seen. It sort of reminds me of this little boy who came up to me after service one time, and he said, Pastor, I know you said God loves everybody, but I don't think God has met my sister. (laughs) The problem was he had not come to recognize the gift that his sister really was to their family. The sister was a gift from God. All children are a blessing. Yes, thank you, Lord. And the young man had not recognized it. And in the same way, I think we in the church sometimes have a hard time recognizing the gifts that are seated all around us. I want you to just take a look right now. Don't look at me. Just look around the room. Look around the room. And I want to tell you, there's, there's about 100 people in this room. There's about 100 gifts in this room plus. All of you are a gift to the body of Christ and to one another, but we often don't recognize it. In fact, I'll go out on a limb and say, not a single one of you came and sat in your seat and looked around the room at all the people and went, look at all these gifts from God here in the room today, all right? But I tell you truthfully, that's what I see every week when I stand up here. Gifts from God, each and every one of you. And Paul knows this, and he spends time talking about it. But one of the biggest things that gets in the way of us seeing each other as gifts is disunity. We're called to spiritual unity with one another. And when we live either too busy to unify with someone else, too preoccupied, or we're just too divisive in nature that we can't unify ourselves with other people, we miss out on the gift that they are, often for us. And then they miss out on the gift that we could be for them. So I want to dive in and look at this, uh, the gifts of the church. I want to talk about this a little bit more. Number one, the gifts of the church require unity, require unity. Let me just read the first six verses out of Ephesians 4 for you. We'll throw it on the screen. And of course, if you brought your Bible, we encourage that. You can read it there in your own Bible, your own translation. 
Hopefully it's not your own translation. You know what I mean. Here we go, verse one. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. With all, say all. Let's try that again. This is second service. Y'all are supposed to be awake by now. With all, there we go. All humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in, finish it, all. There we go. So Paul opens up this chapter with an appeal saying, hey, hey, I urge you to walk in a certain way. Put that back up there on the screen for me just one more second. I urge you to walk worthy, worthy of the calling you've received with humility and gentleness and patience, being there for who? One another. You see, this exhortation is about the one another. And Paul knows, Paul knows that you and I, we cannot walk in unity together unless we also walk in the spirit. Because after all, it's spiritual unity that he's talking about. Not just basic agreeableness. For those of you who know me well, I'm not the most agreeable person alive. My wife is in shock. What? She says, not you. But how many know you can walk in unity with someone while not walking in full, complete agreement with them? Hello, who's been married for more than five minutes? Yeah, you can walk together with someone and disagree with them. That's actually possible. I might have just saved a few marriages today by telling you. You can walk with someone in unity while still being not in total agreement with them. But Paul then also says, the reason and the context for all of this is one, one body, one spirit, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one God. Now, why is Paul having to emphasize this? So Paul comes from a Jewish world where there are many different sects of Judaism. And he knows there's a lot of separations over here. You got Pharisees and Sadducees and you got all these different aspects and different sects. That's S-E-C-T for those in junior high today. Um, over, over here in Judaism. And Paul's going, man, you guys are all separated. And then God calls them to the Gentiles and the Gentiles have more gods than you can keep up with. They got a God and a goddess for this, for that, for every other thing. And he's saying, hey, all of you, all of you over here, all of you over here, there is now only one that matters. One that means anything at all. And his name is Jesus. And in order for all y'all, and all y'all to come together and follow him, we have to focus on unity in the spirit through the one. And in that, he paints the picture of the church family. But he's talking to a specific church in a specific place, even a specific family. You see, I do believe in one big C church, Jesus, he's the pastor of that. But Jesus established the concept and the idea of the local church. And here's something that, I don't know if you know this, but generally speaking, some of y'all are special and you can do this a little bit, but generally speaking, you cannot grow with people you don't know. You can gain knowledge, you can read books and gain insight, but how many know you need somebody right next to you that when you move out of place, you bump into them? Free space to wander makes it hard for people to grow. So God places us in community with others so that we can grow. 
And unity in the big C starts with unity in the little C. I know there's a lot of Christians out there, they're like, yeah, I'm just a part of the big C church. And I don't really believe in that local church. Let me just tell you, you're not Jesus, and that's not how he ordered it. He established the church to be made up of little C local churches all over the place, where you can actually do life with people who know you. Listen, a podcast is not your pastor. I listen to a lot of them. I get a lot out of a lot of podcasts, but not near as much as the people who I walk with day in and day out. Not, as, not near as much as the people who can watch me and observe me over time and go, I've noticed this pattern in you. <laughs> Anybody ever gets nervous when somebody says that? I've noticed something about you. <laughs> sometimes it's good and sometimes it's not. We all need to grow. That's why we need people that we do life with that actually see and observe and help us along the way. And it's a little bit like, in a sense, I love all the kids in my neighborhood. But I love my kids the most. Is that a hard concept for anybody to understand? I love all the kids in my neighborhood, but I love my kids the most. And so there's a sense of, man, we love the whole church. I love every church that preaches the gospel, but I love this church the most. Because this is the one God has called me to. This is where I am. And so there's other people in other churches, and I love them, and that's great. But I don't pastor those people, and I'm not there. So the way I can be in unity with them is actually to be in unity with you. All of us right here. Now, when Ashley and I, this is, I'm going to step on toes a little bit, but I have like nubs because mine gets stepped on all the time. So we're in this thing together. When Ashley and I, my wife and I, we went through church plant training and assessment, one of the things they told us is they said, you'll find out if you're somebody's pastor or not the first time you tell them no. Sorry, I know that's a little harsh. That's what they told us. I thought, well, that may be true. Here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. We all find out if we are above correction and actually it's below it. If you can't be corrected, you're even below that. You'll find out if you're below correction or not when you sense how you respond when a brother or sister comes to you with God's word and says, I've noticed this about you. And I think, I think you could grow into more Christ-likeness by X, Y, and Z. Then you know, can I receive that? Ouch, that hurts. Don't step there. Or can I not? And let me just tell you that if if you, if you aren't pastorable by any of the leaders in the church, you're not really a part of the church. Now, that's tough, but that is the truth. You can come and occupy a seat. You can be blessed by the draft, but it is in walking with people. After first service, a guy in our church came and said, you can use me if you want an example. So I'll use him because he said to use him. <laughs> but Landon Smith, one of our musicians, wasn't playing today. When Landon and I first connected, I said, man, I love you. You're amazing. And Landon is amazing. He's one of the most generous people you'll ever meet, one of the kind, kindest people you'll ever meet, one of the most diligent people you'll ever meet. But in hanging out with him, I said, man, let me ask you a question, though. How's, how's your marriage doing? I have a question. Leads to a long conversation where Landon and his wife decide to go and get a marriage coach because in that conversation, he realized, I need to grow. Now, he could have been really offended. Who are you to talk to me about my marriage? Why are you asking me this? My wife say something to you? Maybe she did, maybe she didn't. But instead, he had a posture of, man, tell me what you see. What do you think? I want to know. Yeah, let's talk through that. Here's what I have to say. And Landon and Heather have an amazing marriage. That was over a year and a half ago. They're still walking with a coach. That's just one example. And I have many people who do that for me in my life. And that's what we should be for each other. So here's the question. Why do people posture so much in church? Honestly, why do we posture so much? 
I'm going to show you some of my flaws up here because I want you to feel comfortable to show yours to other people as well. I think church should be the place where we're the most real, the most authentic, the most vulnerable. Here's where I'm struggling. Can somebody walk through this with me? And all of us should have a yes in our spirit to say, yes, I will. And by the way, I'd like it if you would walk with me in this as well. Now, I know there's an aspect to not wanting to complain about everything, and I appreciate that. And I know that sometimes you got to faith it till you make it. But listen, we're all human beings falling, and we need some help from time to time. Would you agree? Anybody here doesn't need help, I'll hand you the microphone and you can take over now. I'd love to hear how you got there. We all need each other. And this is the, part, this is the point. This is the point of the church. This is why the church family exists, to help us all grow up into the head that is Christ. And we'll talk about that at the end. But if you really want to be a part, at some point you've got to decide, you know what? I'm going to get involved and I'm going to serve. I'm going to get involved and I'm going to give. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to join a small group. I'm going to decide I'm going to be there for other people. And I'm going to make the decision because it is a decision. I'm going to let other people speak into my life. It's challenging as that may be. It's actually for your good. And you're going to commit to one another in God's word over and above everything else. And when we do that, we can actually build something that will last. Now, here's another part of the local church. And I'm just teaching today. I know some of this Ephesian stuff, you can, boy, you can really preach it. And then some things I just gotta teach you. So it's a little teachy teach today. But we're going through Ephesians, seeing what it says. And as I'm looking at Ephesians, of course, I'm looking at a lot of Paul's other writings and I begin to notice a theme in Paul's writings. Which is this, that Paul actually writes, and so do other gospel writers and biblical writers, they write to churches in specific places. Go figure. Let me show you what I mean. Just, we'll run through these very quickly. First Corinthians, to the church of God at Corinth. Not to the big C, everybody's all in church, to the church at Corinth, to the church of God at Corinth. Galatians, to the churches of Galatia. I'm writing just to the little ones right there in Galatia. That's who I'm talking to. Philippians, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, right, to that church. Colossians, to the saints in Christ at Colossia. First Thessalonians, to the church of Thessalonians, to the church of the Thessalonians. He's writing to the people that are in Thessalonica saying, I got a message for you. No, it's not for them. It's for you in your local context. And then there's this like weird passage in Hebrews 13, 17 that probably makes you a little uncomfortable and also keeps me up late at night. It says this, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account. I lose sleep over that verse right there. Like honestly, God, what does that mean? To give account. Somebody give a count to that child back there. Thank you. That's my brother. I can pick on him pretty easily. Love you and your kid. This verse keeps me up at night. What does this mean? I keep watch over Raya's soul and I have to give an account. What does that mean? It's heavy. I can't unpack it all right now. But what I can tell you is God hasn't called me to keep watch over people at another church. There's a local context in which all of this is written. In fact, most of the epistles don't work outside the context of a local church. And I know all of you are sitting in one right now, so maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but there is this prevalent drumbeat about we're all just a part of the big church. That's true. 
but it starts by being a part of this one. And by the way, lest I belabor the point, let me belabor it some more. Jesus himself takes the same approach in the book of Revelation. Let me show you this. When he comes and appears to the apostle John, after he's been resurrected, he comes to John again and says, I got a few more things I need to say to the churches. And watch how he addresses them, beginning in chapter two, verse one. To the angel of the church, in Ephesus, now let me say that word angel here means messenger. He's basically saying to the one who speaks to this church, I have something to say to you about your church. Some versions say to the elder of the church. Jesus is saying, I got something to talk to you, the leader, about for the people that I've put you in charge of their care. Then he goes on, verse 8. Write to the angel in the church of Smyrna. We're going to talk about them for a second. Write to the angel, verse 12, in the church of Pergamum. I got to talk to them in Pergamum. I don't live there. I don't know what their mascot would be. Maybe they're the Panthers too, the Pergamon Panthers. All right. Write to the angel in the church of Thyatira. Write to the angel in the church of Sardis. Write to the angel in the church of Philadelphia. Write to the angel in the church of Laodicea. It is in the context of the local church that Jesus himself sends his final encouragements and admonishments. He doesn't say, tell all believers everywhere. There's some places for that. But here, to the leader of the church, here's what I think you're doing good, and here's what I think you need to grow in. Go read Revelations 2 and 3. I'll never step on your toes again because Jesus will smash all of them and won't be there anymore. This is the context in which Jesus himself speaks. All right, let's keep going. Ephesians 4, verse 7. This will move us into our second point. I told you you're going to get nervous. Some of you are all nervous, even though I told you don't get nervous. That one took a long time. But here we go. Verse 7. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive, and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. Now, this little passage right here confuses a lot of people. They're like, that's a lot of ascending and descending. Is this like Jacob's ladder? What is this all about? I don't have time to break it all the way down for you. But what I can tell you is that Paul here is actually quoting from Psalm 68, which is a psalm that talks about this concept and idea that Yahweh, the most high God, has defeated all the powers of darkness. And he's quoting, what he's quoting in this confusing ascending and descending, he's quoting from that as if to say, Christ himself has now broken the back of the powers of darkness. He has caused them to yield. Now sometimes I like to read the Bible backwards. It's like biblical backward masking. It's a little different than the old school records you guys used to play backwards, you know, like one generation north of me, you know, y'all had, had that going on. This is like you can play it backwards, but you get good news out of it. So sometimes I read the Bible backwards. And here's, here's what I see when I read this backwards. The one who ascended and descended, who broke the powers of darkness, is now giving you space and grace to operate in the gifts that he's placed inside of you. Jesus did the heavy lifting that you and I could not do for ourselves. And because he did that, we can now be who we are called to be. Paul takes all of this, this victory, and relates it back to Jesus, saying he's got power over all of the darkness. And in this, we see now there are, there are really threefold gifts that are given back to the people of God. Number two, the gifts of the church are threefold. Now, I want to do something we do a lot. I'll give you another little separate list here to go underneath number two. 
And I want to talk quickly about the three categories of spiritual gifts. First of all, we have gifts of the Father. These are intrinsic gifts that the Father gives. Romans 12, 6 and 8 says this. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to your faith. If service, according to serving. The one who teaches, his teaching. The one who exhorts, his exhortation. The one who gives, with liberality. The one who leads, with diligence. The one who shows mercy, with cheerfulness. Now here's the thing. We all have gifts that the Father has given us. Not everybody has all of these, but everybody has one of these. The Father gives them and tells you to go and function in them. In them. Number two, we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are talked about a little bit in 1 Corinthians 12, among other places. But beginning in verse 7, it says this. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Let me pause there. This is the point of spiritual gifts, for the common good. There are a lot of people that build platforms on gifts. There are a lot of people that build influencing stuff on gifts given by the Holy Spirit. They're given for the common good, not just for the good of the person who has received them. But let me continue on. For one is given the word of knowledge through the Spirit. Another word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Excuse me, the first one was wisdom. The second one is knowledge. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. These are gifts that the Spirit gives to whoever the Spirit wants to give them to. It's up to him. Who he wants to give them to. Now that's 1 Corinthians 12. Over in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul encourages us to earnestly desire these gifts. Why? Because they're for the good of the body. Then we find the third category, which is the gifts of the Son. These are gifts that Christ gives. And we see these in Ephesians 4. Uh, verse 11 says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Other version says for the work of the ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. So you've got apostles that are like builders, kingdom entrepreneurs, if you will. You've got prophets that are often bold truth tellers, right? And they, they have a redemptive New Testament gift. In the Old Testament, they were telling a lot of bad news. In the New Testament, they tell a lot of good news for the encouragement of the church. You have evangelists, which have a gathering gift and the ability to reach people. You have pastors who have a gift usually of shepherding and mercy and really caring for people. And teachers who have the ability to make God's word simple and clear. These are leadership gifts that come in the form of a person that Jesus gives to the church to train, to equip, to make space for everyone to minister. So I want to get back to our main list, and then we'll dive into those a little bit more. Why are the gifts given? Why are the gifts given? You could probably guess it yourself, because I've said it a few times, but it's point number three. The gifts of the church are given to build the body. That's what they're for, for the common good, for the building of the body. Right? We just read part of this. I'll read it again with the final Verse 13 in there, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Has anyone in this room reached Christ's fullness? All right, I didn't think so. So we still need these gifts to build us up and to equip us. Now these gifts are different and distinct from the gifts of the Spirit. Not the same thing. Paul exhorts everyone you should desire to prophesy. That's what he says. Everyone should desire to do that. But these are gifts that are given back to help actually build the church. And, and some people talk about these gifts more like offices that people hold in a sense. God says, I'm going to 
place you in this office. So some people will speak a word of prophecy or knowledge, but they don't operate in the office of the prophet. There's a little bit difference there. So I want to break down for you quickly the fivefold ministry gifts. Just by a show of hands, so I know I'm talking. Who has heard of? Just heard the term fivefold ministry. Anybody ever heard about that? Okay, fivefold ministry. It's, some people say it's five, some people say it's four. We're gonna go with five for the sake of today's teaching. And I'll walk this through uh, with your hand. So just hold out your left hand and just look at it for a second. And most, if not all of you, will have five fingers on that hand. And I'm gonna use the fingers on your hand to teach you just a little bit about the five gifts to the church. All right, on your thumb, on your thumb, your thumb represents the apostles. And the thumb can do something, the thumb can touch every other finger. It impacts every other finger and makes room and space. Often apostles are, they're like pioneers in the spirit. They lay the groundwork for other people to come behind and to exercise their gifts. Oftentimes church planters are apostles and sometimes really like movement starters and leaders have an apostolic gift in a sense that they make space for other people to come and minister. The apostle Paul was very much that way. He would go into places Start a church, make space, hand it over, move on, do it again. All right, the index finger. Let me see your index finger. What do we use the index finger for? For pointing. We use our index finger for pointing at things, and the index finger represents the prophet. The prophet is someone that God uses often to point and indicate the direction that we should go. Oftentimes, the prophetic gift will operate by revealing the will of God or bringing correction or encouragement, but often going, I know you're busy about the work of the ministry, but God is moving over here. And so he speaks through prophets to go, hey, look over here. Get your head up, look over here. And he points in the direction that God wants us to look. Right in the middle of your hand, you have the middle finger, which is where <clears throat> the middle finger is. And you should only use it for what I'm about to tell you, which is to identify the gift and calling of an evangelist. We use the middle finger to talk about the evangelist. Why? Because it's the tallest. It's the most prominent. Everyone can see it. Hopefully not when you're angry driving down 183A. Hopefully you just wave with your whole hand and smile and bless people as they speed by you after tailgating you for the last three miles. And you think you're about to get in a wreck and you're not. But anyways, that's my wife's thing. People always want to crash into her. I don't know why. God protect you. But... We have the middle finger, which represents the evangelist. The evangelist will stand up and proclaim the word of God. And oftentimes, evangelists are great at gathering people and bringing people in to the family of faith. Oftentimes, evangelists are not so good at cleaning them up, pastoring them, shepherding them, and that sort of thing. But God uses all kinds. The ring finger, the ring finger, this one right here, often represents and is associated with commitment and covenant. We wear a ring or in my case, a tattoo on that finger, it says my wife's name, to symbolize our commitment to someone else. And in this way, we use the ring finger to symbolize the calling of a pastor, of a shepherd, to say, hey, I'm committed to you. I'm not just committed to building a platform or putting out a podcast or writing as many books as I can, but I'm committed to you, to this church. And God uses and needs pastors. And by the way, I'm here for you. If you need me, my personal cell phone's on the business card in the guest suite. Hit me up. I'd love to talk with you anytime. I'm here for you. And this is the calling of a pastor. And then finally, the little finger, the fifth one, wraps it all up together. And that represents the teachers who have the gift of taking God's word and breaking it down and teaching it to everyone who will listen. All right. Now, I'm going to move quickly through the last two because I told you I would. But let me read for you Ephesians 4, 14. It says this. Then... We will no longer then, meaning after we've established the church 
and we've established its leaders and we've embraced them, in that context, this is why God's creating it, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching and human cunning with cleverness and techniques of deceit. What he's saying is that the church is there to help stabilize you. And then number four, to protect you. The gift of the church protects us against deception. How many of you have ever seen something online or maybe on TV and someone says something really compelling, you know, maybe they're talking about the next blood moon or whatever and they say something and it's really interesting and you're like, that's really fascinating. And then something inside of you goes, but who is that? You ever had that, but who is that moment? Who is that? I think we all have that because it's something inside of us that God put in us to go, I want to know who's talking to me. I want to know who's counseling me advising me and teaching me. And there's a knowing that is possible in the context of a local church that's just not outside of it. Now, again, outside voices can be really helpful. But God has created spaces and places just like this in churches where different people with different gifts can speak into other people's lives and help you know what God's will is, which actually is a protection for you. It's built in there for you. All right, quickly, I want to move down to verse 15 and 16 as we begin to close. It says this, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building up, uh, building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. And right here we see that the gifts of the church hold us together in Christ, holds us together in Christ. Now let me talk for just a second about speaking the truth in love. I've talked about this before, but it's right here in the text, so it's a good time to do it. Speaking the truth in love allows us to create like two tension poles that hold something straight. So we have the tension pole of truth and we have the tension pole of love. And when we speak to others with both, we, and we can help them and enable them in growing up into the head. When we allow that in our own life, it helps us to grow up into the head. But when we only have one or the other, we grow something in a malformed way. So if we only speak the truth, over and over, the truth is, the truth is, the truth is, the truth is. We promote and create a pharisaical culture and we grow towards harshness, meanness, lack of grace, although it's true. But, but on the other hand, if we, if we decide we don't like that, that truth sounds mean sometimes and we cut that cord and we only have the one of love. And then we're so kind and so, so gentle and so meek with everyone. We will start to grow something in a malformed way in the other direction. What we really need is this, the truth in love, two tension cables that both cause us to grow up into the head, which is Christ. What does that mean? When we grow up into his head, it means that we begin to think like Christ, to see like Christ, to operate like Christ, who is both grace and truth, who is both love and righteousness, who is mercy and justice, all tension cables holding in opposite directions so that we, as the people of God, we grow firm and grow straight into the person of Christ. And the best news, my friends, is that it is Jesus himself that's knitting us together. I don't know if you know this, but I don't have an Excel spreadsheet with everybody's name and everybody's ethnicity and everybody's income and everybody's spiritual gifting and everybody's everything, everything. And I'm just going through going, well, I'd like to have three of those in our church and five of these in our church and seven of these in our church. It doesn't exist. But do you know who does? 
Jesus, he knows who you are. He sees you and he has a purpose and a place for you in his church. And not just in the big C, but even right here at Vintage Church in Liberty Hill. He has a place for you. And he is the one who is knitting us together. And that should give you great peace and excitement to go, thank God that he sees me and has a place for me. Bible says God places the lonely in families. And that is how we see the church that Jesus has built and is building as a spiritual family. Let me pray for you. Go ahead and bow your heads. I wanna pray for two groups of people today here. First of all, there may be those you're here today and you've known Jesus, but you haven't been a part of a church in a long time. Maybe, maybe you never have. Maybe it's just been a while. Maybe you're coming and you're sitting in a seat and you're occupying it and you're learning and it's all good, but you haven't taken that step. Say, man, I think I'm gonna start being a part here. I'm gonna join a team and rub shoulders and sweat with some people. I'm gonna take a step. I'm gonna join a small group work out my faith with other believers that can challenge me. I'm gonna give and support the ministry of the church sacrificially. Maybe there's something that's stopping you from doing those kinds of things. Maybe you've had a bad experience somewhere else. Maybe you've been taken for granted, not seen, not heard. Maybe you weren't sure of your place. I wanna pray for you because I think there's a place for you here. And whatever it is that's holding you back, we're gonna pray in just a moment that God would remove the obstacles encourage you and give you the courage you need to take that step. The second group of people that I'm going to pray for are those who you, you, you can't connect to Jesus' church because you haven't first connected with him. Maybe it's because you don't know him. Maybe it's because you've seen him. Maybe you've taken the step of humility that I talked about in week two and you've said, I need a savior. I cannot save myself. Pastor Nate, I agree with that. But then there's this lordship issue. Jesus wants to be both savior and Lord and you have not said you can be the boss of my life. I wanna live my life to please you. For whatever reason, you haven't fully surrendered to Jesus. So you're not a part of his church, not the big one or the little one. If you're in either of these groups today, I wanna pray for you. But if you're in that second group with every head bowed and every eye closed and you say, you know what? My problem actually isn't the church. My problem is I haven't fully surrendered to Jesus every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. I see you, I see you, I see you. Oh, I knew him as savior, but Jesus, I need you to be the boss. I'm gonna submit to you as Lord. Just one more moment, anyone else? If you raise your hand in that second one after we're done today, we're gonna have some prayer partners up here with the book called Start Here. It's gonna help you start or restart your walk with Jesus. But right now, let me just pray for you. Father, for those in that second group, I'll pray for them first. Lord, those who have said, I, I, I need to bow my knee to Jesus. I surrender to him, not only just a savior or a good idea or a good teacher, but as Lord of all. I give my life to him. Lord, I pray now that you would do a work inside of them. Lord, that you would do a work in their hearts that as they do raise their hand and confess and say, I believe in Jesus and I wanna make him both savior and Lord, that today by your Holy Spirit, you would seal the work that is done. Lord, and that you would cause them to walk in your ways according to your statutes. Lord, I pray that you would put them in a bubble of your grace and protect them from the onslaught of the enemy that may come and try, or to take the seed that is planted and rip it out or cause it to grow too fast and burn out. Well, we know all the different ways the seed hits, but Lord, we know sometimes we're the farmers throwing the seed, but when you plant a seed, 
It never comes back void. So I pray, God, that you would actually plant the seed in the heart of those who today are saying yes to you and you would cause them to bear much fruit. And for the first group, Lord, those who maybe they haven't got off the fence yet for whatever reason, maybe they're scared, maybe they're still kicking the tires, maybe they're battling with insecurities from things that have happened in the past. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to see, Lord, that we all have a part to play and that you've brought us here for a reason and for a purpose and that you would call them off the seats, off the bench, to get in the game and to help build your church here in Liberty Hill. Lord, give them the courage, give them the faith, whatever it takes to be a part, to be a part of your church. Ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting Vintage.Church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.